Welcome to episode 84 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. And today we will be talking about the masterpiece, The Shawshank Redemption from 1994, which received seven nominations, 67th categories, no wins, which is beyond me, makes no goddamn sense, but we'll get into that later. Before we do that, and before we uh, talk about the individuals that make Shawshank what it is, uh, we need to pay our respects to two cinematic titans. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich and Sidney Poitier recently passed away. And my God, you know, uh, you couldn't get any more different on the, the spectrum of, of filmmaking and what it means to, to Connor and I, but they both mean a whole lot. Uh, we'll start with Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, he's 82 years old. Uh, wolf, you know, this guy uh, totally got our, our attention through this show, through Oscar Sunday. Uh, we covered the 1971 Best Picture nominees not that long ago. Uh, and of course, The Last Picture Show is one of the best films from that ceremony and is a movie that has stuck with me ever since I watched it. It's one of my favorite Texas movies uh, immediately, one of my favorite Jeff Bridges performances, and Peter Bogdanovich got my attention after that. I believe we both watched Paper Moon, uh, yeah. a, stellar, a stellar movie from just a couple years after. And not only was he a great filmmaker and you know one of the giants of his day uh there's not a lot of people who advocate more for watching films you know talking about films i think there's a group of of directors and i think he's somewhere at the tippy top you know uh, along with the guys like martin scorsese and quentin tarantino i think peter bogdanovich is in that group and somewhere near the top of guys who just consume the absolute shit out of films and that's my favorite thing about him. He's got a bunch of uh, little kind of commentary bits, uh, little interview bits on Criterion right now on the Criterion channel where he's just talking about movies. And it uh, brought me to tears today just watching him because his passion is, is endless. And when it comes to films, he's relentless with his opinions and with his passion for it. So uh, rest in peace to just a, just a great guy, a guy who means a whole lot to the film community. Yeah, the guy's a, a legend who I've only recently discovered through those two films, The Last Picture Show and Paper Moon, especially. Yeah, I really liked. I liked the father-daughter dynamic. And say what you want about Ryan O'Neill, the film is a is a nice, cute little adventure. And also, uh, I just want to shout out his um, his role as uh, Doctor Melfi's therapist on The Sopranos, which I yes completely forgot about till I did my rewatch and like, that's Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was something about his look. He just represented like what I imagine a director looks like in the seventies, you know, like he just <laughs> yeah. had that image and he never abandoned that. He did like one of the first PSAs of, you know, don't talk at the Alamo draft house. He was one of those guys. And he's just, he's, he's a, he's a filmmaker's director and I'm, mm. we're going to miss him. Yeah, we, we really will. And uh, you and I immediately after doing Last Picture Show, we were like, oh, we should definitely do one of his movies at some point. And that will be coming for sure at some point this year. Uh, he was nominated for Best Director and Screenplay for The Last Picture Show. So it'd be a lot of fun to go back and revisit that movie and check it out again. I was just like pulverized by that film and uh, definitely going to be watching more of his movies. Um Sidney Poitier, 
Oof. 94 years old. Uh, died in the Bahamas. A uh, guy, you know, he lived a very long life. And he's, as far as performances go, performers go, uh, he's one of the most important guys to ever live. He, I, I, I saw a quote today from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's a big, big cinephile, Kareem, and, and maybe the greatest basketball player to ever live. He talked about Sidney Poitier being representation, not only, of course, you know, a, a, a black man breaking through, winning Oscars, you know, being nominated for Oscars and being this kind of icon and breaking through the industry. But he also, for a lot of black kids around, around the United States, represented what it looked like to be um, an intellectual, uh, a functioning member that they could see themselves as, right? And those kind of people are, are absolutely massive when it comes to filmmaking, especially uh, in the 60s, 70s, you know, even, or even as far back as the 50s, you know, he's nominated for The Defiant Ones, a movie that we've covered on this show. Uh, Sydney's importance is, is hard to even scale. It's hard to even measure because it's so huge and so massive. And uh, if you watch his work, he's, he's fucking captivating as hell. <laughs> uh, I'd say, you know, uh, his win for Lilies of the Field is a movie that I'll go ahead and spoil it now. We have had that scheduled for months. We're doing that, we're doing that movie next month. We've had that scheduled for a very long time. I've always wanted to see it. I've always wanted to see the first uh, African-American to win the best actor Oscar. Uh, I've always wanted to see that movie specifically. Uh, We've done the defiant ones. Uh, We've talked a lot about uh, uh, guess who's coming to dinner when we did uh, an episode focusing on the late sixties. And then we also did uh, an episode on the, in the heat of the night. So, you know, we've, we've covered some of his work and we both respect him a lot. Uh, He's yeah. Wolf. you know, this is one where, I expect for the next, you know, couple of weeks for stories to come out and people to give their two cents about what he meant to them. And you always great things about him. You know, he, he just seemed to be such a pleasant guy to be around and a, a true, true treasure, you know, to, to, to cinema, uh, a guy who, a guy who simply had to be there. Uh, otherwise we don't know. We don't know who would have broken through. You know, it was Sydney. It was Sydney who did that. Sidney Poitier was the very definition of a trailblazer. Without him, cinema is different. Like, so much of the cinema after the 50s is completely different if Sidney Poitier does not break through. And his work speaks for itself. He was an incredible performer. I've seen a good chunk of his work now, and he just, he, he had a gravitas about him. Just, he commanded respect. He was an incredible, um, I just, I read about that he was the um, he's one of the few Americans to have received an honorary knighthood from the queen. I mean, that's mm. fucking incredible. Uh, yeah, I this one hit hard. I he just seemed like he was going to be there forever. And uh, I, I hope he's happy wherever he is. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. He's, he's an absolute titan. I can't wait to. To do to do lilies of the field next month. That's always been on my radar ever since we started the show is like, Oh, I've always wanted to see it. And now it's like, okay, now I have a real reason to, to, to watch it and talk about it. So yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of his, if you're interested in hearing us talk about that movie, we're going to be doing that about a month from now. I cannot wait. And, uh, you know, 
Sydney and Peter, just God bless both you guys. Y'all did y'all did a great, great stuff for what we care about here at Filmgasm. And uh you'll you'll be missed. Both of you will be missed a lot. Yeah. Thank you for the work. Seriously. Yeah, that's that's well said. That's really all that's all we can really say, right? Is is their craft means a whole lot to us. And uh, we we appreciate it. Um moving on to the the movie we're going to be talking about here for God knows how long. Uh, <laughs> um, the Shawshank Redemption. You know, there's some tones and uh, some some themes here that are not not very pleasant, but it is a uh, it is a when I think of the movie, when I think of the poster, when I think of Thomas Newman's score, when I think of Deacon cinematography, when I think of Frank Darabont fucking putting his mingled finger up to everybody that wanted a piece of this movie, and he said, "No, I'm directing it. I'm the young gun who's going to make." I get chills, I get happy, I get excited, and I can't wait to talk about it with you because I know it's maybe your favorite movie of all time. So <laughs> this is going to be fun. This is uh, this one's incredibly special to me. This is a heartwarming, beautiful tale of the endurance of the human spirit, and I I get chills every time I watch it. I know what's going to happen, but I get sucked into it. I get drawn into every moment of this film. And it did, I do think an argument can be made that this is the greatest film ever made. And IMDb certainly agrees with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'm so excited. I chose this movie uh, for my birthday week pick, and I'm so yeah. glad I did. This is going to be fun. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, your birthday's coming up uh, January 12th, and I, my birthday's at the very end of January, so I have a movie picked out for later in the month that we'll do. And uh, yeah, when you said Shawshank, I was like, hell yeah. I mean, uh, that's a birthday present to me as well. Um, Shawshank is my first, when I was maybe 12 or 13, somewhere in there, when I first like really saw it and understood what it was, it was my favorite movie, you know, then. And it was the first favorite movie where I could confidently say, uh, I, f- I feel like I could be at a, at, a, at a table with adults and say, Shawshank's my favorite movie of all time and you get that respect you know you get that uh oh yeah that movie that movie's classic you know uh and it's it's so rewatchable you could you could catch catch it at any given moment on you know it's on TNT and TBS like every fucking weekend so you could catch it uh oh oh this is this is where Boggs goes away for good this is where Boggs loses his goddamn legs oh this is where Brooks you know uh Brooks was here this is where Andy decides, uh, fuck this. This is where Tommy dies. You know, this, you know, so on and so forth. Every single moment you can kind of jump in. It's so episodic. You can jump in and just be like, I'm in, I'm, I'm on board. I don't care how much is left. Uh, and God bless that last 20 minutes. You know, it's just sublime. <laughs> and, and, and I, yeah, I love this movie. I'm, I can't believe, uh, that at one point, uh, in my life, I kind of thought I, it was my most pretentious stage. <laughs> I, I always kind of like, oh, Shawshank's overrated. No, it's just that good. It's just that good. It really is. Uh, I think some movies reach a point where they're so good that you, you can't quite accept it. <laughs> and I, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, an argument could be made that it's the most... It certainly has an argument to be the best American film of all time and certainly has an argument to be just one of the most like endearing, endearing movies uh, that we've ever seen as a big audience. You know, everybody's seen it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody knows about it. Even though that wasn't the case when it came out, you know, it was a big, huge bomb. 
Uh, people didn't give it the respect that it deserved right away. And uh, apparently Darabont was, you know, really hard to work with at this time. And Morgan Freeman, like, wanted to just kind of forget about the experience altogether. And, of course, later on, they all start to embrace it because they realize that people love, love, love this movie. Um, especially, especially males. You know, this is a male-dominant movie. It's really got no females in it, except for at the very beginning. Uh, it's, it's about, about two guys, really. It's about two guys in this platonic relationship where they just love each other. They're just friends, like, for over, over decades. It's really, really cool. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here talking about it. It's a movie that we've had circled for a long time. Uh, we did it as a filmgasm episode a long time ago, but it feels right to bring it back here. Uh, we're going to talk about individuals here in a minute. We're going to talk about the 67th Academy Awards, which, again, seven nominations, no wins. We both have a lot to say about that. Uh, and then we're going to give our own awards out. So I, I cannot wait. Buckle up. You know, so few people actually like realize that this was written by Stephen King. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's one of his uh, novellas from uh, different seasons alongside films, uh, stories that we become stand by me and apt pupil. It's a fantastic book. I mean, oh, good yeah. God, there's some yeah. masterpieces in there, but the yeah. short story, uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption is like Darabont changed almost nothing. I mean, he did like a little couple, a couple things there to tighten the story. Like he kept the warden the same throughout the whole movie, which was a good, good choice. And then he changed Morgan Freeman's backstory because Red in the book is an Irishman. And with this, Darabont showed that I, I believe he should be the only one allowed to touch Stephen King's work because he, he gets it, man. Three times he has pulled this off so beautifully. And uh, with this, I mean, what about God? King is such a renaissance writer like what he can do the the scale the range this man has in store in terms of storytelling i was reading in the book there's a, a short there's a little uh anecdote he says where he was at the grocery store and some lady walked up to him and said like you know your stories are really scary you should write something more like dramatic more calmer like that movie the shawshank redemption and he's like well i wrote that too and she's like no you didn't and walked away and that was that was the whole interaction <laughs> <laughs> just you know the more you know i i hope somebody here is like what stephen king wrote that and now they know that yeah yeah i love that i, I love that i know i i was gonna i was letting you bring that up because you're a huge stephen king fan uh he you know two of the best adaptations of all time of his work is stand by me and shawshank two movies that are not horror you know that are not like quote-unquote scary and I love that. I love that about him. It's a testament to, to King and it's a testament to Frank Darabont understanding the work and understanding how to adapt it. And God, God damn, this screenplay is just fucking dynamite. You know, it's rock solid. Like I, I love the screenplay so much. I, 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 you know, I rewatched it last night. It's been a while since I've seen it, probably since we did that episode a long time ago on Filmgasm. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad I waited that long because when you give a movie that much juice to kind of amp up and amp up and amp up, and then you watch it and you're like, Oh my God, I forget. This is why I love this shit, you know? And, and it, that happened so many times, mostly through the screenplay and through what the guys were saying, ah, man, it's so good. So let, let's start with, let's start with Frank Darabont. Let's talk about him. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about his career, talk about his Oscar stuff. 
is I'm guessing this is your favorite Darabont film. Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But I mean, you know, like I said, his his King adaptations, The Green Mile and The Mist, also fantastic films. But Shawshank is something special. He tapped into something that very few films have tapped into with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets uh, the nomination for screenplay Shawshank. Uh, then gets the nomination for screenplay again for the Green Mile, and then the Green Mile is up for Best Picture, and he was part producer for that movie. So that's it for his Oscar resume. But yeah, man, I'm I'm with you. Uh, what he does later on, just, and then and then the guy the guy like I mean, works on The Walking Dead. Are you kidding me? Like he creates The Walking yeah, Dead. Like he developed he, it for he, TV. That's insane. You know, that's just so crazy that this is the dude who dominates movies in the you know uh well not at the time necessarily but later on you know as we look back through the you know mid to late 90s and then as he gets into the 2000s you know just i'm just gonna go ahead and make this tv show that might be one of the biggest things to ever exist in pop culture i just wild i think it's so unfortunate that from all reports he is like the biggest prick in hollywood because no one wants to work with this guy he got fired from The Walking Dead and has been suing them consistently ever since. Like, his films are so good, but he has gotten to do so little because of his fucking attitude, which is just sucks because he's so good behind the camera. Yeah, I read a lot about uh, this movie specifically. You know, he's he just thinks he's this young, hot fucking director. And Morgan Freeman was just like, this fucking guy. You know, the, the that, that scene when... Uh, Andy and Red first kind of start actually talking when they're out in the out in the yard and Red's yep. throwing the baseball. Uh, Morgan Freeman, left-handed, by the way. I gotta love that. Uh, and he's tossing the baseball. Apparently, they did like, you know, 50-something takes. And so Morgan Freeman's constantly throwing the baseball back and forth. Uh-huh. And the next day, apparently, he like threw something out in his arm, in his shoulder. And the next day, he showed up in his sling and was like, fuck you, Frank. <laughs> like, <laughs> my arm hurts. Give me a goddamn break. Because, you know... Uh, Darabont was was a guy who was coming out the gate hot, and let's let's remember where Morgan Freeman was at. You know, just a couple years before he does does Unforgiven, where Clint Eastwood, director, famous for short days, get your rest, get your food. Let's make this very professional. Yeah, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont was like no days off, fifteen hour days. Let's fucking like <laughs> you know David Fincher type shit, and it's just like that's that sucks. You know, for for the people who work on it, so. You know, a lot, a lot of stories of it being unpleasant on, on the set. And that, that sucks, you know, for a movie that's so good. But, but there's something in that, that kind of disdain and that kind of uh, unsettling feeling <laughs> that actors have. It, it provides something for, for, the, for, for the end result, the end product. It reminds me of that, that throwaway line during the, the Andy's first night when everyone's trying to get the new fish to break. And that one guy yells out to the guards. You run this place like it's a fucking prison. Mm. Like, there it is. That's Darabont. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That was someone actually just saying that. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't in the screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. man. Yeah. Crazy. Craziness. Um, Andy Dufresne, Tim Robbins. No one else could play this. No, nobody else. I swear to God. Tim Robbins is six foot five. He looks like he might have killed somebody, you know? He has that look to him. The haircut, the kind of slicked back weird haircut, but also looks like he maybe wouldn't hurt a fly. 
it's just perfect. Tim Robbins is perfect. Can't believe he wasn't nominated for this movie. I I can't stand that. I love Morgan Freeman to death. I love his his performances red, but he takes all of the credit in this movie and people don't give Tim Robbins enough. Tim Robbins is, is the man in this movie. Uh, he was nominated for best director, 1995's Dead Man Walking. And then he won the Oscar for best actor in a supporting role, Mystic River, 2003. Mystic River, great movie. Another Clint Eastwood classic. Uh, yeah, just guy with a weird career. You know, I think uh, you and I have a, soft spot for him through maybe this and Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bull Durham. Uh, he's got a, he's got a strange career though. Yeah. He's um, interesting directing choices, interesting acting choices, never really got the sort of credit I felt he deserved. Um, has always just kind of been there since the eighties, just churning out work, memorable stuff that people almost seem to forget he was involved with. Almost mm. every time he's one of those, he's a that guy with the career of a movie star. It's it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and ima- imagine if Shawshank wasn't on his resume, then he'd be a major that guy, you know? Because yeah. you know this this kind of a movie puts you on the map, you know. People yeah. know Clancy Brown's name because of Shawshank, you know, and and SpongeBob. <laughs> it almost wasn't Tim Rob. Like I know they offered it, or they they wanted um, Tom Hanks. And Tom Cruise. Can you imagine oh how much of a God. disaster that would have been? Oh, oh Jesus. No way. But I think like Tom Hanks chose Forrest Gump over this. And I guess it worked out for him in the end. But I wonder if he was like, huh, maybe I should maybe I should have taken that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy casting. What if uh, Brad Pitt was almost cast as Tommy, which would have been. Well, bonkers that would have been completely that would have been distracting as hell we need that to be a nobody that can't be if that's in, Brad Pitt especially now oh man no. but in 94 he was nobody he was just Floyd the roommate yeah he's, he was a, he was a, a heartthrobber in Thelma and Louise uh, and then of course a year later he does seven in 1995 so he was about to take off I just I I, it, I agree with you at the time it could have worked, but now you look back, you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It, it would whoa. be really distracting now. I yeah. That. That's Brad Pitt for one of the greatest <laughs> actors of all time. Uh, but, but you know, the Tommy character ends up, I think working out and, and it's good stuff. Real quick. I want to shout out one of my favorite Tim Robbins performances. Cause it's so, so odd. He, he has so many weird like appearances. Um, he's the president in Austin powers too. Yes. And yes. <laughs> Dr. Evil has a moon base and the president is like, I can't believe I'm going to pay this guy. And he's like, I got so many nukes. Let me just launch one. And he grabs the red phone and the general's like, are you suggesting we blow up the moon? And he's like, would you miss it? Like telling his people, like, would you miss it? <laughs> it's so goofy, <laughs> but Tim Robbins sells it. I, I love this guy. And then like as the, um, the public news anchor in the Anchorman fight, Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, public yeah, news team is fuck? taking a break from its pledge drive to kick some ass. I love that. <laughs> it's Tim Robbins. Uh, uh, my my personal favorite of all of his is, is definitely the player, right from nineteen ninety two. Yeah, he's great in that movie. I really wish he would have been nominated for that one as well. Yeah, he's got he's just got a crazy filmography, and I like him a lot. I really do, and I love what he's doing in Shawshank. Andy Dufresne is the man. You know, he's, he's, he's so good. Uh, just as good as, is uh, Morgan Freeman, who's got a really interesting, um, Oscar resume, uh, supporting 
twice and then three lead role uh, nominations, one win. Uh, 1987, Street Smart, Best Actor in a Supporting Role nomination. Uh, Drive Miss Daisy, nomination for Best Actor in a Lead Role. Shawshank Redemption, Best Actor in a Lead Role, 1994. Uh, he won Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Million Dollar Baby, 2004. And then his final nomination, uh, there might be more, we'll see. Uh, best actor in a, and an, best actor in a lead role, which I don't understand, uh, Invictus 2009. That movie's not for me. Uh, neither is Driving with Stacey, but he is never the problem. Uh, I always love watching this guy. He's great. And you got to think that Shawshank's his greatest performance of all time. That's got, it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Morgan Freeman, his work lately in the past 10 years has not been great. Uh, he's been doing a lot of paycheck gigs, but you know, can you blame the guy? He's had like a 40 year career. Let him, let him do what he wants to do. Yeah. But, like I think, yeah, there's something about Shawshank, just the, the, the relationship between him and Andy, the, like the, you know, finding goodness in a place that's built on, you know, darkness. He really sells that. And you don't even really know what he did. I mean, you, you know, he's serving a life sentence, so he probably killed somebody, but you don't know the situation. You just know this is the red we're meeting. We're meeting him at this point in his life. And, you know, this is a man who's had to live with something horrible for decades. I love his speech to the parole board where he's like, you know, I, I want to go back and talk to my younger self and tell him not to do this horrible thing. I got to live with that. It's a great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great representation of his character. And I, I do adore him in this. Oh, yeah, I think this is his, his best work. Yeah, God, he's so good. He's so good as the the guy who can get you things. Uh, the guy who's got all the connections in the prison. He can get. He can even get you protection. Uh, he's like. Um, he he's he's got to be the person that is the hub of your movie when you're doing a prison movie. It's like, well, he's got to be a big part of it because he kind of knows everybody. He knows who to stay away from. He knows who can help you out. He knows which guards to kind of stay away from. And I love that about him. I love Red so much. And I love the little shout outs to the source material. Like when he says, why do they call you Red? And he's like, I don't know, maybe because I'm Irish, you know? And I love, like you said, I love at the end when he does that big speech. I love when he's, the way he says it is so cool. And he's like, um, I want to try to talk some sense into him, you know? Get, get to him, you know? And then he's like, but, but, you know, rehabilitated is a big word for you to say, Sonny. He keeps calling him Sonny. And then he's like, honestly, I don't give a shit. And then no. approved. <laughs> and it's so cool. It's so awesome that, that, that uh, sense that he has of um, being the only guilty man in Shawshank, that he admits that, that he's okay with it. He accepts it. He's doing his time. He's paying his dues, making the best of his time while he's there. God, he's amazing in this movie. I'm sure we'll be talking about him more later. He is, he's just lights out. Love, 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 love Red. He's from the get go when I first saw this movie and I saw him taking bets on, you know, who's going to crack first, you know, of the fresh fish. I I was like, God damn, that's who I would hang out with. If I was in fucking prison, you know, I'd be, how can we bet on stuff? How can we, you know, they're betting cigarettes and different things. And yeah, it's just so cool. I I, I love that character. Uh, I also love Brooks. One of, my favorite char- one of my favorite characters in the movie. Uh, and he's played by the wonderful James Whitmore, uh, who's awesome in this movie. He passed away in 2009. He was 87 years old. So when he does this movie, you know, he's in his mid-70s, and he, he looks every bit of it, right? You know, he's got 
his, his character has been in there for 50 years. You know, he, he talks about being there in 1905, you know, uh, and they're in the mid fifties. And then, you know, of course the movie starts coming to an end in the mid sixties. So it's just awesome watching this character who doesn't need a whole lot of screen time to, to give you that, that feeling, that kind of dire feeling of this guy who's trapped, who's stuck. And then that massive scene with him and Haywood when he's got the, got the knife up to his neck, you know, that's, that's acting, man. That's a heat check performance that I'll never forget. Um, this guy's incredible. He was nominated twice, uh, once in the forties and once in the seventies, uh, best actor in a supporting role, battleground 1949, and then best actor in a lead role, give him hell, Harry, uh, 1975. So I would love to see both of those just to get more James Whitmore knowledge. <laughs> yeah. The character of Brooks is crucial to this movie. He's the, the ultimate nightmare of the Shawshank inmates, an institutionalized man who is set free and the world is completely different. Imagine disappearing for 50 years. What the world, how different would it be? How different would everything be? Everyone you know is dead. Uh, you know, cars. But he, he mentions like, I saw an automobile once when I was a kid. Now they're everywhere. Yeah. I mean, what a nightmare. And they, you know, I read mentions like they, you know, they said they, uh, you get a life sentence and that's what they take. They take your life. And once you're too old to do anything about it, they let you go. And then, I mean, so many people can't cope with that. And Brooks, it's so heartbreaking. Uh, but he, Whitmore is so good in this. He should have been up for supporting for this character. Uh, he's a massively important part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. I'm excited to get to the 60, uh, 67th Academy Awards to kind of look at the, the categories and just kind of make our own decisions on that. I love that. Uh, he's, yeah, he's great. That's it for performers that are in the movie. Um, which is crazy, right? Because this, this movie's just got A-plus stuff from everybody. Yeah. It's, it's a, a movie filled with a ton of those guys. That guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah. You know, that, just character actors who just pop up and they're, they're just, ah, they're just on board. You know, they just fucking get it. And every scene just fucking kind of slaps because of them. Um, one other crazy casting what if I'll, I'll throw out there before we get to these other four individuals um, that you, I think you would love is there's two uh james gandolfini was was gonna play boggs whoa oh shit and then our man john favreau the genius himself was gonna he tried out he auditioned for fat man fat ass oh my god favreau wow yeah isn't that crazy (laughs) that's nuts like i don't i don't know if i would have bought favreau 90s favreau as fat ass because i mean look at swingers he's not that fat yeah yeah and and that especially now you know you you know 20 25 plus years later you'd be like wait a minute that's that's the guy who basically not started marvel but got its revival going with iron man so i don't know about that that's the guy who jump-started the mcu and saved star wars holy shit and here he is getting ass kicked by clancy brown yeah by mr krabs yeah then james gandolfini as boggs that's frightening that would have been terrifying and I wonder if that would have changed the trajectory of the Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, I envisioned something similar to his work in true romance, right. Uh, you know, from 1993, 
Yeah. Just fright, frightening, frightening kind of, kind of actor. Uh, obviously we saw in the Sopranos, he can turn on a switch. That's just nasty. And as Boggs, that would have been, and he's so huge. He's such a massive human being. That would have been, yeah, that would have been crazy. I think he would have been fantastic as Hadley though. If Clancy Brown had turned it down, I think Gandolfini would have been great as, as Hadley. Oh man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think there's, I think there's a lot of people who would love to get their go at that character because Hadley just comes in five minutes at a time, just fucking got all the best lines. You know, he's like, this motherfucker's about to have an accident. <laughs> you tell me, fuck stick. They're all addressed to you. <laughs> yeah, he's such a he's the definition of a prick. Straight yeah. up. Like not a redemp- yeah. not a redeeming bone in his body. Yeah. Dufresne. You're mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, he's so good. Uh, yeah, I love I love stuff like that. And I, I, I knew you would get a kick out of those. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, all right, here we go. We got a couple of couple of monsters to talk about. Uh, first one's Thomas Newman. Uh, composes this just breathtaking score for Shawshank. And uh, a guy who's got 15 nominations. So let's go through them. His first one is for Shawshank Redemption. The exact same year, he's nominated for Little Women, both for score. Uh, Unstrung Heroes, 1995, up for score again. American Beauty, 1999, score again. Road to Perdition, his most underrated work, 2002. Uh, Finding Nemo, 2003. Uh, Series of Unfortunate Events, 2004. Uh, The Good German, 2006. Wally, 2008. He's nominated for original score and... uh, an original song. So yeah, that's, that's not a bad, not a bad year. Uh, Skyfall, 2012, uh, Sig Mr. Banks, 2013, Bridge of Spies, 2015, Passengers, 2016, and 1917, 2019. So the guy has zero wins, 15 nominations. You know, this is kind of unprecedented territory. And he's one of those names that, uh, you know, I'd say he's a tier below the John Williams and the Hans Zimmers of the world but he's right there. I think, I think sure cinephiles know him right away, but I think most people would, it would take them a second to realize who they're talking about. I can, I can sense a Newman score like that. It's, it's, yeah. piano. it's, it's very recognizable. And I would love to give him the win for Shawshank, but that means I got to take the win away from the lion King. So we're going to get to that. Oh, you know where I'm at online. Yeah. <laughs> that's I can't that's like picking your favorite kids. I don't know if I can do that right now. <laughs> but um yeah, Thomas Newman is one of the most impressive composers in film history, an unsung hero who has yet to get his due by the academy and he should have like five or six statues by now. The work this man has done. I mean, we brought him up several times on this show. He's a guy who just keeps popping into these incredible movies and really like his he he provides the tone of the Shawshank Redemption. His music is super sad and hopeful at the same time. It's just this perfect blend. And yeah, without him, I don't know if this movie is as memorable. I hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think music is 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 just so so vital to a film, especially a film like Shawshank, like really hitting home. And, and it's hitting on all cylinders and he's a big, big, big part of it. Uh, this is probably, I don't know. It's hard. I really like his work in American beauty. Uh, 
but I, th- I think Shawshank's probably, probably my favorite score of his. I just, I, I get chills right away. You know, it's one of those, one of those just kind of cinematic, you know, that's the best way to describe Thomas Newman is he, he literally writes music for cinema and it always matches up so well with what you're seeing on screen. Uh, yeah, I, I adore this guy. He's, he's, he's a Titan. Yeah. Shawshank's his most recognizable work. I think, uh, Road to Perdition always gives me chills Ugh. when I hear that score. Uh, that's a film I would I really want to bring to this show soon. I love that movie. Mm. We, yeah, we really should. We really should. It, it's also hitting its 20-year anniversary this year, so maybe we could go ahead and go ahead and throw that on the schedule. I love Road to Perdition. Love it. It's my favorite Tom Hanks role. I love that movie. Yeah, as not I don't think I ever really got the attention it deserved, and Newman is a big part of making that movie just pop he he's 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 the best like in some capacity what he can do it's not you know john williams makes these movies you know rise above something he makes them extravagant unforgettable thomas newman he does that on a smaller scale that i think is so much more important i Mm. think he has like he micro doses you with amazing music (laughs) okay it's it's hard to explain I like that a lot. That's a good, that's a good way of putting it and a good way to kind of respect Thomas Newman's work. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> oh man. The next guy has somehow more nominations than Thomas Newman. Uh, Thomas Newman was 15. Roger Deakins, <laughs> Roger, Roger Deakins, the man, uh, his first ever nomination for, you know, of course we're talking about cinematography. If you don't know that you're listening to the wrong show uh, <laughs> nominated for Shawshank Redemption, 1994. Fargo, 1996. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Kundun, 1997. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, 2000. Uh, the Man Who Wasn't There, 2001. Ha- has something going there with the, uh, with the old Coen brothers. <laughs> uh, no Country for Old Men, uh, nominated again, 2007. The same year, this is bonkers, the same year, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. What the fuck? Also in 2007, Robert Elswit does the cinematography for There Will Be Blood and the cinematography for Michael Clayton. What is wrong with these guys? You know, like what, what's going on in their life where they're like, I have to do these crazy tough movies. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it blows me away that they, they're able to do that. Uh, back to Deacons. The Reader, 2008. You know, listen to this range. The True Grit, 2010. Skyfall, 2012. Prisoners, 2013. Unbroken, 2014. Sicario, 2015. Finally, Gets two wins, Blade Runner 2049 and 1917. Oof. And that's not even, that doesn't even scratch the surface, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, he's got one of the most iconic filmographies of all time. And I think, I think a lot of people would say they can recognize Deacons right away. Not really, you know, not really. His range is fucking nuts. And the fact that he can do something like Shawshank and he does the iconic. Uh, pan, pan over shot of the prison where we see it as if it's a map and you just know immediately oh I'm in a, I'm in a master's hands and then you watch something like Blade Runner 2049 you're like this guy literally plays with the tools he has in time whatever is best for him to use he's gonna use to his advantage 1917 is a fucking jaunt like it feels like this you know continuous take and Deacons is, it's like he's doing something athletic with the camera. It's very, very cool. I love this guy to death. My personal favorite 
work of his is, is the big Lebowski, but Shawshank is close. Yeah. Lebowski for me too. It's that, that movie is filmed like a film that is so much more self-serious. It's behind the camera. Deacons was making a different movie than the Coen brothers were. And that hybrid is the beautiful film we have today. Exactly. Exactly. And he does that. He does that a lot. I think, I think Shawshank is, screenplay is amazing. The performances are really good, but there is something about it that if it's in the wrong hands with the camera, it could become this kind of TV movie. That's like, Oh, that's cute. You know? Oh, movie about hope. Cool. Neat. But there's something, there's something about the tech technical side of it that takes it to this crazy level that you just have to respect. You have to be like, wow, I'm watching, watching something pretty special here. You know, the way this is, the way this is moving, the way the way this is edited, which we'll get to here in a second, Richard Francis Bruce, I, I, I think in the wrong hands, this movie could not be on this show today, could not be at the top of that IMDb list. I think the technical stuff has to be on point, just like the screenplay and the performances for it to be what it is. Yeah, there's a reason Roger Deakins is, you know, synonymous with incredible cinematography. We named our award after the guy. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the man. He's at the top. Everyone respects this guy and the work is why he takes these films that could be great, could be shit. And he makes them stand out with his camera work. He makes masterpieces. And very few people can say that, that they consistently make masterpieces. Yeah. And, and if not, if not a masterpiece, it's like well worth watching because you're, you're looking at, you're looking at incredible stuff. Something like Prisoners is like, what a ride. You know, what a wild can ride. I love that him and Denis Villeneuve have this understanding of these two completely different minds. Uh, I, I love that about them. And and the, and the Deacons, Cohen, Carter Burwell, uh, I'll throw him in there, uh, composer. Those guys together is like, you cannot beat it. These guys are just at the tippy top of their game all the time. Yeah, Deacons is the man. We could go on him about him forever yeah not only do we have our, our our award we have our last award our biggest award of our show the best scene of the movie is called the deacons award so you know we really 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 like him here on this show and i, I think we're speaking for all cinephiles when we just say we we flat out respect him so great stuff shawshank is 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 some great work from him uh richard francis bruce been nominated three times for film editing including shawshank redemption seven a year after jesus and air force one 1997 uh again this is something i i just stand up for talking about shawshank is yeah all the stuff that's like there is great all the plot you know performances all those things but there's something about how how it moves and how it's cut and there were definitely tough decisions made i've seen some deleted scenes from it and those should have been deleted you know i really i really do think they made the right calls here uh, I think it could go haywire. It could go off the tracks when Tommy comes in, but somehow they keep it kind of contained and they, they have him there just long enough to kind of get you excited and to get Andy Dufresne, a new project, something, you know, it's like his quote unquote, his hope. Right. And when that hope dies, Andy Dufresne is like, fuck this shit. I'm out. And I love that about it. I love that. It keeps, keeps, keeps stays in the lines without, without losing its creativity. Love that about this movie. Yeah, Tommy's there 
partially to you know give Andy something to do after the library, but also to finally confirm to the audience that Andy really didn't do it. Yeah, like, you need yeah. that as an audience member to be like, am I rooting for a guy who murdered his wife and her lover brutally? And at that point, you're like, no, I'm not. I'm rooting for an innocent man. Let's do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crucial, God. and it is edited very well. I mean, you're spanning 20 years here, and you need it to move briskly, and it does. It does. There's never a dull moment in this film, and that is impressive for a film that's over uh, almost two and a half hours long. It's it blows my mind whenever somebody can make a film that long and I don't even notice. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I would say as far as editing goes, fucking talk about taking it to the next level, Richard Francis Bruce and editing seven. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Well done. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Just crazy. That movie, that movie would be a lot of fun to do on this show. And, uh, Oh my God, that, movie moves like nobody's business and i cannot imagine being the guy that's in charge of doing that uh hats off to him i like air force one but it hasn't it's been a while since i've seen it these other two movies are in a class of their own compared to it i watched air force one pretty recently it's a fun movie you know get off my plane russian gary oldman okay sure why not this is fun cool yeah cool (laughs) uh also just because i know you know this is something we love uh Rich Francis Bruce also in charge of editing The Rock from 1996. So, hell yes, a great movie that we both love that uh, doesn't doesn't get enough praise. <laughs> oh yeah, Rock's fucking fantastic. I love that movie. So good. Yeah, me too. It's just bonkers. <laughs> All right, last guy I want to talk about here: production designer, which is a uh, an underrated part of Shawshank Redemption, I think. Shawshank Prison, it's uh, in Maine, but the movie was filmed in Ohio. We never second-guess that. We never fucking think about it. It's just out of prison the whole time. Great stuff. Uh, Terrence Marsh has been nominated four times, two wins. And these are all from 1965 to 1971, which is crazy. It's really crazy. So he he was quite young when he when he got these. Uh, he won Best Art Direction, Dr. Zhivago, 1965. Is that how you say that one? Zivago? Zhivago. Yeah. That, I, we've wanted to do that movie on here before, but we just kind of, kind of, it has been elusive. We haven't been able to get to it. Uh, he won for Best Art Direction for Oliver, 1968. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> probably not my kind of movie. Uh, and then was nominated for Scrooge in 1970 and nominated again for Mary Queen of Scots, 1971. These are all art direction. Uh, he's listed as an art director, production designer, all, all these different things. Clearly loves to be on the set, working, making things look like a film. Uh, and you, you have to appreciate guys like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm looking at his IMDb here. He, <laughs> what, a, what a wide variety. He did the production yeah. for The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother, a hilarious underrated comedy from the 70s it's gene wilder who wrote and directed it and stars as sigerson holmes the third sibling that sherlock and mycroft don't talk about beautiful beautiful (laughs) so fucking funny um (laughs) good for him i don't see that movie mentioned a lot so that's cool i wanted to shout that out yeah what a great (laughs) resume yeah it really is from you know uh the movies that, that we've talked about the nominated ones the hunt for red october the green mile shawshank I mean, yeah, it's just kind of crazy, crazy what all he has here. You know, Spaceballs, 1987, uh, <laughs> Basic Instinct, 
Yeah, crazy. Fallen, his final movie, Rush Hour 2, as, pro- as production designer. Uh, he passed away th- uh, four years ago now, uh, 2018, at 86 years old. Uh, so, yeah, Terrence Marsh, rest in peace, and thanks for the crazy filmography. Wow, he died two days from now. That's yeah, we're recording J- this on the 7th. Holy shit, he died on January 9th. Well, and actually, it's Friday that we're recording this, so this episode will come out January 9th. If you're listening, so holy shit. That's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Four, four years to the date, if you're listening today. Uh, wow. Terrence Marsh, rest in peace. Yeah. And that's, and what a way to end our individuals. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. That's pretty pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Uh, the 67th Academy Awards. We'll, we'll jump straight over to those. Uh, keep this thing moving. Oh, man. This is going to be fun. Because, again... Seven nominations, no wins. I can't wait to figure out what you what what irks you the most. Because <laughs> this 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 the show that uh, I think has has one of the more um, balanced and good best picture groups of all time. Yeah, uh, and, and I can't wait to get to that. So we'll kind of start with the the lesser uh, categories, just kind of work our way up. Uh, we always use IMDb to kind of kind of guide us on that. So uh, what's at the bottom there for Shawshank? Best original score. Okay. Well, that, yeah. I mean, these are all pretty heavy hitters. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've got nomination uh, nominees. Forrest Gump by Alan Silvestri. Interview with the Vampire by Elliot Goldenthal. Little Women by Thomas Newman. The Shawshank Redemption by Thomas Newman. And the winner, The Lion King by Hans Zimmer. Oh, why, 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 why make me choose? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> See, I've seen all these movies. This is good. I have not seen Little Women or Interview with the Vampire. Uh, you, you guys see Interview with the Vampire. It's just bonkers. Yeah. I know. There's, I've written three vampire books and there's so many movies I should have watched first. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Uh, that's great so to me this is between Shawshank and the Lion King uh yeah yeah all right the Lion King score is beautiful it's operatic it's epic Shawshank score is a little bit more personable more like kind of representative of the human spirit uh these are so different oh man Newman versus Zimmer Yikes. Versus Zimmer. I, you know what? I'm going to give it to Shawshank. I have to. I, I love the Lion King to death. I think it deserved more attention, but it's still going to have that best song Oscar and Zimmer does not need this. <laughs> he, he'll, he, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really do wish that this was uh Thomas Newman's lone win. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I'm voting. I'm not saying, Hans Zimmer's score isn't good or anything. It's incredible. And I have my feelings about the Lion King. Uh, just not one of my favorite Disney movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one day. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Newman's score for Shawshank is, is, is something else is, is out, out of this world. And I don't want to sound like someone who's like live action over animated. That's not how I feel at all. Uh, I just think the Shawshank is in a class of the score. I think it's one of the better nominated scores of all time. And I really wish it would have got the win. I think it's at this point, 
if you don't recognize, you know, the, the, the music from, from, from Shawshank, you're, you're just lost. You know, it's, it's that good. I love it. I think of it like this. If I can hear a piece of a film score and know exactly what part of the movie I'm hearing, that's a masterpiece. Mm. And Thomas Newman's Shawshank score has that. I don't think Zimmer's Lion King does. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely moments of Hans Zimmer's score. You're like, Oh yeah. That's the stampede. That's circle of life. That's King of Pride rock. But every second of Shawshank, I'm like, Oh, there's, Exactly that. There's Bob yeah. attacking Andy in the shower. Like there it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's that's due to its you know the the wonderful music, but also due to its just episodic fucking execution as a as a film, where you know exactly where you're at with sounds and different different kind of a uh, what would you call them? Kind of like signals, you know throughout throughout Shawshank where you know exactly where you are and I, I love that about the score so good gotta yeah. give got gotta give the score the win here yeah <laughs> yep so so uh you want to jump to film editing film, uh film editing yeah. is this is in I think this is the most interesting one here okay um, okay film editing we've got hoop dreams uh pulp fiction the Shawshank Redemption speed and the winner Forrest Gump you Never see documentaries outside best documentary. <laughs> this is this, this, this one deserves it. <laughs> Hoop Dreams is like a three and a half hour, just epic, epic documentary that uh, I will definitely put on the schedule at some point here on Oscar Sunday. I fucking love Hoop Dreams. You just bought it for me not that long ago on Criterion. Yeah. And I have a feeling I'm going to regret that. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to love Hoop Dreams. It is a stirring, moving, incredible doc uh i would put it right on that that same kind of plateau as mining the gap which we did on this show uh, a little while back uh i i i have to go with uh, either speed or pulp fiction uh when it comes to editing uh oh boy um i think i'm gonna go speed i think john wright uh should get best film editing for for speed speed is like simply lightning in a bottle it's movie magic and all these other films what they don't have is a fucking moving bus the entire film. So, so speed. I really, I, I can't, I can't wait to do speed on the show. Uh, obviously we're doing Shawshank. One day we'll do hoop dreams. Our first episode ever was Pulp Fiction on this show. Uh, and Forrest Gump, of course, we'll do one day for a giant uh, best picture showdown. But 1994 is kick ass. Yeah. This is one of the most powerful Oscar years in history. We've, we've pulled from this mine a few times. It's a, uh, it just keeps giving. It's a gift that keeps on giving. I, yeah. I'm going to give this one to Pulp Fiction. Okay. The editing I, of that film is unreal. I mean, the keeping the pace while also making the film out of order and having everybody know exactly what's going on the same, like you know, the whole time is impressive fucking work. Sally Menke was an editing genius. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pulp should have gotten this. I, I, I'm okay with that. Pulp, Pulp is like. I don't even fucking care. It's edited so well. It's, it looks so good. It's Tarantino's directing the absolute fucking shit out of it. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Even if I was like, I don't really get this. It wouldn't matter. It looks so good. It moves so well. Ah, yeah, I adore that movie. So I have, I have no problems with Sally Manke taking, taking the win here. Uh, I just think, I think pulp and speed are on a different level of like what they're doing cinematically uh, with, with editing. 
Speed has no business being as fucking great as it is. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I got no yeah. beef for speed at all. Yeah. I love speed. I really wish speed was like up for best picture. It's so <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, speaking of speed being good, best sound. Mm. Uh clear and present danger, Forrest Gump, Legends of the Fall, the Shawshank Redemption, and a win for speed. So yeah, sure. Yeah, come okay. on. Come on. <laughs> you're not taking you're not taking this away. There's no way. Clear and present danger, sure. Forrest Gump, all right. Legend of the Fall, Strashek, yeah. I, I just don't think they compare to, to something like Speed when it comes to best sound. <laughs> yeah, the, none the of that weird... really makes any sense to me. Like, why For, Forrest Gump, Legend of the Fall, like, why are they here? Best sound, I, I, really? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what exactly this uh, category is for. No, like I, I definitely get sound effects, right? You know, and speed won that as well. I, I get that sound effects, but just sound overall. So that does that include the soundtrack? Does that include score? Like sound? You know, I, I don't know. Well, after our visit to the Academy Museum, I am I'm now thinking about it in terms of like ambient noise and foley effects and like all of that shit that goes into making a film sound. So I think the Lion King should be here. The Mask should be here. True Lies should be here. This should be a different group of films yeah I, I i'm totally with that and you but you understand why on that front speed wins right oh yeah yeah i mean Speed's good. winning but the rest of those films should be nominated yeah yeah good night i do think uh you know with shawshank being there and we'll just because we're because we're talking about shawshank we'll we'll just bring this up i do think especially stuff towards the end uh with the you know the with the lightning and thunder and Tim Robbins fucking clanking that rock. I would love to see how all that was done. You know, I would love to see, I would love to see kind of the, and, and I know I looked up, uh, fuck, uh, the, this, this quote unquote sewage that he's crawling through is uh, a mixture of chocolate. Uh, uh, the fucking shit, like the saw wood, the shit that like the, the stuff that comes off of, off of wood when you saw it. Uh, sawdust yeah there we go sawdust and something else i can't remember what the the third thing was but yeah <laughs> which is great because you can just imagine giant fucking six foot five tim robbins like haha this is great <laughs> well i read that like a guy actually swimming through 500 yards of shit would be dead in minutes because of the complete lack of oxygen down there you're just breathing in methane you'd be dead so yeah I, I don't care. I, I, I love the movie. I don't care how accurate it is. I like that part because he's free. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that part later because there's, there's some confusing stuff towards the end, but we'll get to it. It's, I, wonder, I still love it. I wonder how they full, how the Foley artists capture lightning. I mean, do they like they got to get that from the source? I mean, I would love to know you, how that's done. You would you would think, especially in 1994, you know, uh, different ball game than it is now. Yeah. Now you can just look up lightning sounds on your computer and just like buy that and throw it in your movie but back then you had to fucking chase storms <laughs> yeah damn crazy <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh cinematography oh We've boy got forrest gump by don burgess shawshank redemption by roger deakins three colors red by piotr sobosinski wyatt earp by owen roisman and the winner legends of the fall by john toll this is an interesting group of films. I, I've got, uh, I've only seen Gump and Shawshank here. You haven't uh, seen White Herb? I have. It's three hours long and stars Kevin Costner. I've already done that. 
I, I'll be honest. I've started it, never finished it. Uh, yeah, because I, I didn't know what I was getting into uh, yeah. when I when I when I started it. It's just, just watch. Yeah, not really just my watch tombstone. It's the same story, but shorter and way more fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And and I'll admit, uh, Legends of the Fall is just also not my kind. Not my kind of movie. I'm not I'm not really into that one. You know, it's got two incredible actors at the forefront: Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins, but. Not really my thing, Legends of the Fall. Just a bit, a bit boring, a bit of a slog. Maybe I need to rewatch it. But this has to go to Shawshank, uh, from what from what we know. Uh, some of the most iconic shots uh, that I've seen in my life are f- from this movie. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue that. It's beautiful, and uh, I don't know. Legends of the Fall feels like it'd be like you know a little bit like Howard's End again. And then I don't know if I can take three more hours of Costner. Uh, and then Three Colors Red. I've heard the Three Colors trilogy is a special kind of cinephiles thing. I, I haven't checked those out. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, I kind of feel ashamed about that. Uh, I, uh, Kislavsky, uh, I definitely want to see those those movies. Uh, I've seen some of his work, but not that. And uh, yeah, I've heard heard there's incredible performances in it, and that they just are kind of those has that intoxicating kind of feeling. Uh, so I, I would love to see that to have a full, a full scope of this category. Yeah, I think so. I think it's time. Um, best adapted screenplay, the madness of King George, nobody's fool quiz show, the Shawshank redemption and the winner Forrest Gump. Uh, how Shawshank lost this is beyond me. <laughs> I mean, the screenplay, like, you know, page to screen is, virtually like seamless i don't know how there was <laughs> how did this lose the gump <laughs> ah. <sighs> yeah this this is the this is the big one that well i i've got my issues with with for with forest gump i just i just don't think it's uh nearly as impactful as shawshank redemption eric roth is a guy who's got a crazy crazy good filmography has worked on a lot of different stuff with a lot of different directors uh, and Forrest Gump is kind of, kind of his, his trademark, uh, I would say, but it's not, it's just not nearly moving enough. And, you know, uh, Shawshank has the Shawshank and Forrest Gump both have the, the balls to do a lot of narration, right? It works way better in Shawshank than it does Forrest Gump for me. Uh, Morgan Freeman's voice throughout and the stuff he's saying is just fucking amazing. I, I I don't think there's really competition here. I I think Shawshank takes it by a landslide. This is this is the one that I think really there's no argument. Other categories I, I can see people saying certain things, but the screenplay, especially especially for adapted, it's like come on, it's not even close. Yeah, and I you know I haven't seen the Madness of King George or Nobody's Fool, but Quiz Show is really good, but Oof. it's not up to this caliber. It's no, this no. is Shawshank is a is light years above everything else in this category. And I love Forrest Gump. I think it's a great movie, but Shawshank is, you know, fucking manna from heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, no, I think Forrest Gump has gotten shit on too much. Like, I think it's I think it's underrated at this point now with big movie fans. And I think that has a lot a lot to do with it beating Pulp Fiction and Shawshank, which doesn't just doesn't really add up as time has gone on. Yeah. 
But man, it just does not deserve the screenplay award. I, I do have a question for you though. Yeah. If you were to if you were to combine uh, original screenplay and adapted screenplay, these two categories into ten nominations, should Pulp win or Shawshank? See, I'm so glad that's not the case, so I don't have to answer questions like that. But total screenplay, it's Pulp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The originality in that film is unparalleled and Tarantino's rarely going to lose a screenplay uh, nomination in my Oscars. It's uh, he's yeah. He, enough said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I think, I think it's uh, one of the truly special screenplays of all time. And without that, win, without that, Oscar win, you know, I think, of course, Tarantino goes on and does great things, but does he go on and make Jackie Brown and still get the respect that he gets? Probably not, right? You know, does he go on and make Kill Bill and get the same respect that he gets if he doesn't win the screenplay? I think he got the best of both worlds where he had he has all the nerdy cinephiles on his side because he's making good cinema. He's making good movies. He's making entertaining movies, but he's also got this Oscar love, this Oscar attention where he kind of he kind of milts both of them together, you know, and that's what makes him Quentin Tarantino because he fucking cares, and yeah. I love that about him. I love that about him. Uh, sorry, Darabont, you're just there's nothing you can do to, <laughs> to, to to take down QT. Yeah, Tarantino's the fucking bad boy of the Oscars. I'd, I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a guy who shows up on a fucking motorcycle in you know a leather jacket and glasses, and is like, yeah, take my award. What? just he's got that vibe he's got that like fuck everything i'm awesome vibe about him at all times and he's he's earned it i don't care (laughs) yeah i agree yeah i wrote pulp fiction i'd be that arrogant too (laughs) best actor uh morgan freeman for the shawshank redemption nigel hawthorne for the madness of king george paul newman for nobody's fool john travolta for pulp fiction and the winner Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, winning his second consecutive Oscar. Back-to-back. Good for him. Uh, okay, so Hanks in Gump is, is great. He's great. I think it's, it hasn't aged well. Uh, it's just... Yeah. Uh, and, he, you know. and, he, and he's got better work. He's got better work yes. outside of it. Yeah, that's a, exactly... Um, so I, as I said, I haven't seen King George or nobody's fool, but in my book, this Oscar goes to John Travolta. Ooh. Okay. Okay. John Travolta winning for Vince Vega. Ah, shit. That's really hard. I, I would vote for Morgan Freeman. Uh, love John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I love everybody in Pulp Fiction. I, I, yeah, uh, I think we should talk about supporting actor here in a second, too. Um, now, I do think Tim Robbins deserves to also be in this category. I don't, I, I'm not quite sure who you would take out, but I also think, I think him and Morgan Freeman carry this movie together. I don't want to see Tim Robbins in a supporting actor category. He just, he's not a supporting character. Uh, Morgan Freeman, though, is, is, is not only kind of the hub of the prison, he's narrating the whole movie. So, Yes, Tim Robbins, uh, Andy Dufresne is kind of our quote-unquote main character, but Red 
is like the perspective that we're seeing Andy through, you know, we're, we're hearing it from red. You know, I, I didn't hear a peep out of him that first night, you know, uh, all that stuff. He's, he's absolutely dynamite and he means so, so much to the movie. John Travolta. John Travolta is his lights out in Pulp Fiction. I just don't know if I would give, I have a hard time. I'm a big runtime guy. And John Travolta to me is almost putting in more of a supporting role than, than, than lead. I don't know if anybody's putting in a lead role in Pulp Fiction. It, it, it relies on all these pieces fitting together. It relies on obviously Samuel Jackson and it relies like if Samuel Jackson's up for best supporting, then, then why is John Travolta up for best lead? Just because that stuff at, at Jack Rabbits, is that it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a I think in terms of screen time, I think Travolta's got more. I think he's supposed to be our I don't want to say hero, but like our mm. through guy, I think. And yeah. this was just so crucial to him reinventing himself. You know, prior yes. to this, he was the dude from Greece, he was the guy from Saturday Night Fever. He was the, you know, the dancing goofus, you know, of the 70s and 80s. And then fucking Pulp comes around and John Travolta's a badass. Yeah. Yeah. So with this, we get face off, you know, we get, um, I'm sure he did more. <laughs> I can't, I can't get Battlefield Earth out of my head, but that's not for here. A civil action. Yeah. <laughs> I've not watched it yet, but I've heard he's great. Yeah. Um, that movie's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just I I think his his role in pulp is so transformative, and I'm I'm very behind a transformative performance. When I can't really tell that I'm watching an actor, that's when I'm like, that's an Oscar. Like, I I see Vincent Vega the whole time, and in Shawshank, Morgan Freeman's great, but I'm also very aware I'm watching Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that low voice. Yeah, I think I just miss my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Vincent yelling, get the shot. Like that's that's yeah. just Vincent. <laughs> Lance, yeah, when he's shouting at Lance, yeah, 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 no, I, I hear that, I hear that. I, I love that with all that said, he gets fucking blasted by Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah, every time Vincent takes a shit, something bad happens. Yeah, yeah, don't go to the restroom on the job. Yeah, I love I, one of my favorite scenes is, is you know, of course, all the stuff with him and Uma Thurman, uh, and he's in the restroom, and he's like, finish your drink, be a gentleman, and go home. <laughs> you know? She's fucking overdosing. Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction's just lights out. Everybody's really, really good. I mean, Ving Rames is great in that movie, you know? Uh, Uma Thurman, fuck. Like, everybody's just kind of punching above their weight, and that's what kind of has made it last so long. Yeah, fucking Eric Stoltz is great in that movie, and I've never said that. Neither, neither have I. <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay, so real quick, supporting actor. Yeah. I, this has always been one time. Hold on. What the fuck? Because uh, Martin Landau, really good in Ed Wood. I like Ed Wood. But Samuel Jackson, Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction has got to take this win. I just, <laughs> come on. Like, <laughs> it's it's one of the all time. It would have been really cool to see Vincent Vega, see, see Vincent and Jules win at the same time. Would have been really cool. Yeah, it would have. And I think you're going to be very surprised at who I would have for this. Uh, I would give this to Gary Sinise. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan is one of the, he's the reason, he's the main reason I fucking love Forrest Gump. 
for its own reasons. <laughs> Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan is such a great character. He's just so broken and so devoid of hope, but over the course of the film, he learns to care again. And it, it's so beautiful. And he, he does fair. that so well. It's his greatest performance. And I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I thought you were going to go with Paul Schofield for quiz show. I was like, okay, I can, I can hang with that. I love quiz show. I don't know why the fuck Schofield is the guy who got the nomination from quiz show. Cause he's in it for like five minutes and is so forgettable. That should be Turturro's nomination. Yeah. John Turturro's lights out in that. I, I, I love that movie. Love quiz. Quiz show is the very first review I ever, I ever wrote for film gas. It's the first thing. It's basically the first thing I ever contributed. Uh, I might have been on a podcast before then, but uh, been on an no, episode. Was, that was, was the, I remember I approached you about, like we were talking about the whole thing and uh, the podcast hadn't even happened yet. And we okay. were like, I was like, you want to do some reviews? And you sent me Quiz Show. And then from there, I'm like, okay, this guy's serious. And I love Quiz, I love quiz Show. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a rock solid eight out of 10 for me. It's just one of those that it's not going up, but it's not going down. <laughs> but also... Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi is such a fantastic performance, and I'm so glad he won. It is. It is a great performance. Yeah. It's, this is a good year. It's a very good year. It is, yeah. Filled with dynamite stuff and stuff I haven't seen yet. Like, like for example, I really want to see Mel, Jodie Foster's nomination for Best Actress. I want to see her in that. I did watch Blue Sky, uh, Jessica Lange's second win. Um, not a great movie, but God damn, she's good in it. She plays like a mentally ill. Uh, she's Tommy Lee Jones' wife, um, and he works for the military. And he's getting placed around different areas of the country. And they they land in uh, Alabama for a little while. And boy, oh boy, is there some lulls in it. But Jessica Lang, every time she's on the screen, yeah, she's dynamite. I love checking out random stuff. You know, just picking a ceremony and picking a movie. Just fuck it. You know, uh, just check it out. So. I definitely will try to get to, I think, I think the red, I think the colors trilogy, you know, of course red is from this year. That's something I want to get to, but I, I keep seeing nobody's fool. And that's the one that's kind of jumping out to me, Paul Newman. I love Paul Newman. So I'll probably try to get to that next. I really want to see the madness of King George. That um, too. Yeah. That too. Fuck. You know how big a history buff I am. And to see a movie about, you know, King George the third losing his mind after the revolution that's right up my alley. I, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Woody Allen, you know, uh, nominated for best, best director, uh, bullets over Broadway. Haven't seen that one either. So a lot of stuff to check out. I can't believe Darabont didn't make it into best director. Well, yeah. Let's look at that group. You got, uh, bullets over Broadway, Woody Allen. Whoa. Pulp fiction, Quentin Tarantino. Whoa. Quiz show, Robert Redford. Whoa. Uh, red Christoph Kislowski. Whoa. And Forrest Gump, Robert Zemeckis for the win. Just crazy group. Um, we haven't seen Red or Bullets Over Broadway, but I mean, sorry, Robert Redford. Like, I you you would got you got to take Quiz Show out. Those those three that we've seen and put Darabont there. That Darabont's just lights out in, in Shawshank. I take Woody Allen away because most I feel like most of his nominations aren't deserved. Just on principle. Feel like he's one of those guys who's just constantly getting nominated because he's Woody fucking Allen. Yeah, I feel like Woody Allen is has the has the Oscar resume that like Spike Lee should have had. <laughs> oh wow, that's <laughs> you might. I think you're right there. Yeah. Uh, 
I've seen Annie yeah. Hall, I've seen Midnight in Paris, and they're good, but I've never been like, oh my god, this is a master at work. <laughs> I've never felt neither, that. Neither have I. I've, I've seen a bit more. We also both watched uh, Purple Rose of Cairo for, for the oh, show. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, that one was pretty good. But he's there's always something a bit too like corny about about his work for me. Like there's always something, there's like a touch of cheese that I, I don't really like. And of course it's it's Woody Allen. This guy's got a strange personal life that uh I don't really feel unfolding on this show, honestly. I just don't feel like doing it. Yeah. It's also odd that a lot of his films in his later career are about older dudes sleeping with much younger women. Yeah. Uh yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't need that in my life. But I also do not want to take an Oscar win away from Robert Zemeckis because he is so fucking dear to my heart. Yeah. So this would be tough for me. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if like if we had the group that we wanted at the end of the day, I'm voting for Quentin Tarantino. You know, it's just <laughs> it, it's it doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's it's Tarantino and Darabont this year going head to head for me. Yeah, it should. have. That's the battle that should be happening. But all the fucking academy voters were fawning over gump and four weddings and a funeral which is a good movie but why is it here i don't know yeah the movie's fun but come on uh yeah yeah gump gets 13 nominations that's six more than shawshank and of course gets six wins six more also than shawshank just just doesn't doesn't sound right uh you know years later no it does not so our best picture group here, we've got Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, The Shawshank Redemption, and Forrest Gump Takes the Win. Um, no. <laughs> we've, I feel like we've said this a few times over the course of this show, but no. <laughs> Gump does not take best picture, not in a perfect world. Shawshank takes best picture in a perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I agree. I mean, I like Pulp Fiction more as a, as a as a as a fan, but I I've heard people talk about Pulp Fiction. I've heard people complain about it. I've heard people say, "Ah, eh, not really for me." And I kind of get it. I kind of understand. Shawshank, if you've got a fucking pulse. If you've got a heart, I don't know how you cannot watch this movie and be completely moved by it, and and honestly be almost changed as a person. So. If a movie comes out that does that and is really good and has good performances and has kick-ass cinematography and directing, like it deserves best picture. If it's going to be in the group, go ahead and give it to it. You know, um, this has happened many, many times where a movie is in the group and they just just look a little too far, or they're like, "Oh, well, it didn't do very good at the box office, so just fuck it, fuck it." You've seen it, you know, you know what the the product is. I think Shawshank is definitely uh, as far as this. He goes the best movie of the whole ceremony, the best overall film of the ceremony. Yeah, enough said. I, I, I hope that box office gross doesn't like isn't part of the thought process for these guys. I mean, I, I wonder what goes into that. You know, when they watch their fifteen minute clip and they're like, "Okay, what what should this get?" I wonder how that's all done. I'd like to look into that. Well, I. Uh... This could be its own episode, but have you been have you been seeing the stuff that uh, Kevin Feige and Tom Holland have been saying about Spider Man? Yes, I have. Uh, ballsy, but I, I admire the push. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's very possible. You know, uh, I think I think No Way Home could definitely get a a Best Picture uh, nom not win, but Best uh, nomination. Uh, it, it is it is fascinating that 
uh, over over the holidays from you know the time that No Way Home came out to basically to now. Uh, as far as theater revenue, Spider-Man No Way Home takes up nearly 80% of it. That, that, that's <laughs> so, so important to uh, so many people keeping jobs and so many people having something to do with their job, you know, having, having a place to go and actually work. And uh, you, you have a movie that hits theaters and just has this life for nearly a month already where it's still packed. The theater is still rocking. People are still hooting and hollering over what's happening on the screen. There is, there is a conversation to be had about, should we go ahead and respect that? Because uh, uh, it, 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 means, it means so much to, to cinema, right? For a movie to kind of not save the theater, but it's trying, you know, it's trying. I don't think we should, I don't think we should count box office success or box office failure popularity i don't think should be an issue either i think it should entirely depend on the quality of the film and spider-man no way home you know whether it was a huge bomb or one of the top 10 of all time which is what it is now um it's an amazing film full of great characters great story great moments that's what matters that's what should like qualify a film for best picture if it moved me and you know spider-man no way home fucking moved me it was you know there were moments that i got emotional it's a powerful film and that's what should that's what should have it be counted i I, i'm with you you know you know me i'm not i i money money does not mean a whole lot to me at all when it comes to comes to movies but man there's something about that what it's what it's doing kind of demands some sort of attention and, and then you know um you look back at, at oscar history specifically oscars not talking about anything else i don't have much knowledge of any other uh, award organization uh, there was a time when those two things the thing that you're speaking about you know the product what does it mean did it take you on a journey was the perform were the performances good was the writing good was the craft good there was a time where box office and that met each other. Like movies like the Godfather dominated the box office. Apocalypse now dominated the box office, you know, Scarface, you know, these movies that were huge, but also people loved, right. That it kind of, it kind of had both. It had the critics. Oh yeah, this is what you should go see. But people were just going to see them anyway. Yeah. And now, now there's, you know, now there's, you know, again, this could be its own episode. Now there's a whole nother conversation about, well, nobody's fucking seeing anything in theaters. Movies aren't doing well. They're having, you know, they're having to go to HBO Max. They're having, go, having to go to Netflix or having to go to Hulu or whatever it is. Uh, they're having to do a VOD thing, you know. Um, Spider-Man, like, broke that. They were like, no, we, we are capable of breaking that while also, like you said, being a great film. So I think it is a meeting of those two things. I think we've seen that recently a few times. Joker pretty good movie broke the box office broke the bank got tons of nominations uh black panther 2018 broke the bank really good movie and you know got a best picture nomination i think it can be done and i do think it will be done with no way home and dune i think both those movies will be up for best picture uh i think dune is a shoe in and i think no way home is trying its hardest to say hey 
look at what we did and everybody loves it. You know, uh, I love that conversation. I think it's fascinating. It's scary because there are so many great movies, indie movies, smaller movies that are probably going at the Oscars and going to, going to be nominated for stuff that people just haven't talked about or people haven't seen while something like don't, don't look up. Adam McKay's movie on Netflix, everybody saw, everybody talked about because it, it was right there in front of them. You're already paying $10, $15 a month. But those movies that hit theaters, movies like Come On, Come On, that's probably going to be up for Best Director. That's probably going to be up for Best Actor. But nobody's really seen it. And that's such a fascinating place to be. What's more important? Something crafty and small that is very good and very moving if you've seen it or the thing that everybody's seen and everybody's moved by. I don't know. It's fascinating to think about. Well, see, but these days, the only people watching the Oscars are people like us who are watching the indie shit, like the stuff that... (laughs) True. And giving Spider-Man a Best Picture nomination is not going to increase Oscar viewership. Probably not. And the people who are voting on these things are, I'm hoping, still, you know, taking into account film quality. Because, like, Fast and Furious 9 put people in theaters, too. And I that film doesn't deserve shit. Yeah. So popularity yeah. can be a slippery, slippery slope. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and it really ultimately it comes down to kind of uh, is the Oscars trying to reflect how the culture feels about movies, or are they doing their own thing? Because doing their own thing has not worked. <laughs> you know, True. It, it doesn't get people to care. True, but I think at this point. Everyone who's going to care already cares. Yeah, no, I, I think there's no way back. Yeah. Uh, I think the only way, and this is this just cannot happen. I would be totally against this. I would think about changing our entire show if they did this, is if they started giving fans votes. And that just would not fly with me. You know, uh, you'd have some YouTube seen, bullshit as best picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, 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 well, yeah, yeah. It would be like, well, no way home, no way home, no way home, no way home. And no one else would talk about anything. And I, that would frustrate the absolute shit out of me because I do care. You know, I do care about the end result. I do care about those 10 nominations for best picture. I want them to be filled with movies that are, are yes, are important to people, but also are, are going to be worthwhile and worth seeing. And have some kind of legacy. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's no way the Oscars can save themselves. Like it's it's gone. And, I, and, and what what are they holding on to? You know, like wh- what exactly? They probably should try stuff just to say fuck it. Let's see what happens. But are they trying to hold on to some kind of? Um, you know, they have that they have that, that brand awareness, that slight brand awareness. Are they trying to hold on to that, or are they kind of ready to be like fuck it? We got to try something. I'm starting to feel like we're on a bit of a sinking ship with the Oscars. Yeah. yeah. I think in the next ten, five to 10 years, they might just be gone and maybe awarded on the slide. They'll still be awarded, but I don't know if they'll still get like the giant show that might be on its way out. So yeah. in the meantime, I want to just enjoy this pretentious stroke fest while I still have it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, um, I'll I'll always I'll always have a have a small percentage of, of just true care and passion for it because because uh, it creates conversations like this Shawshank versus Pulp Fiction you know uh, it creates the conversation of wait Black Panther was up for Best Picture but not Infinity War not Endgame hold on you know those things matter to me those conversations are 
I love the, I love stuff like that. So I don't know. I, again, you know, we've already gone on a tangent. We could go on forever about this. Cause it's, cause it, it doesn't stop. You know, it doesn't stop anywhere. Every little thing you look at, you can kind of pick apart and see, should this be up? Should we be talking about what's better? What's more popular? All these different things. It's, it's really cool. I love it. Um, mad respect to the to the academy for which is crazy to say for nominating Shawshank Redemption for best picture when it did not do well when they knew they had something I wish it would have won but they knew they had something special here that people should see and it got that word of mouth and people started watching it and then it was on TNT and TBS for it still is and it has that three hour three hour gap where from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. where you can jump in at any given moment and you know you're watching a masterpiece. I, I, I love that about uh, Shawshank's legacy. And now, you know, I've heard crazy stories about, uh, read crazy stories about different cast members and crew members still making just shit tons of money because of DVD sales and because of, you know, TV sales and these different things. Like this movie, this movie won't die. <laughs> it refuses to because it's so good and i'm excited to give some awards out to it yeah me too this is uh it's important you know this show is important for us to kind of just build our own catalog build our own appreciation for film using the oscars as a sort of reference point and we've done that you know 80 84 times in a row and i'm proud of all of these episodes and i'm proud of what i've found because of the Oscars. So regardless of whether or not the Oscars are on their way out or what they nominate next year, and if it's fucking horrendous, we will have almost a hundred years worth of films to still cover on this show and still embrace the past. And, you know, that's never going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. We've done, done stuff like Shrek and the Incredibles all the way to Shawshank and fucking faces by Cassavetes and, Mining the gap, and we're going to continue to kind of push the boundaries and do different kinds of movies. And yeah, I'm having I'm having a blast. So we aren't going anywhere unless the Oscar starts giving fans votes. And then we'll just <laughs> put like we'll stop here and just only go to the past and just ignore the future. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Uh, this is great because we've talked about a couple of these individuals uh, that we have awards named after. We have the Quentin Tarantino Award for best quote of the movie annual Morricone award for best music moment, best needle drop, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we got the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for the best performance of the movie. And we have the Roger Deakins award for the best scene of the movie. So Connor, take it away with your Tarantino. I know you probably got a few. I have three. <laughs> uh, my first comes from our first meeting of warden Norton, our bad guy, the Darth Vader of Shawshank prison. And, uh, he is introducing himself to the new fish says, you know, I believe in two things, hard work in the Bible here. You'll get both put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. Like, fuck <laughs> tells you right there. What kind of movie you're in for? What kind of place this is unforgiving, painful, relentless. And the film delivers. <laughs> ah. <laughs> great, great pick. Um, my second one, it just makes me laugh every time. It's when um, uh, Andy, Red, and Haywood are going through the new books. And Haywood pulls out what he calls The Count of Monte Crisco by Alexander Dumbass. 
<laughs> and they're all like, it's Christo, you dumb fuck. <laughs> like just it's it makes me laugh every time. The Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> by Alexander Dumbass. <laughs> Dumbass, yeah. I, I I love the reactions of everybody, especially Dufresne, who's got his glasses down to like the bridge of his nose. He's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, sir. It's actually, yeah. you actually like it, and and then you have you have him say uh, you like it. It's about a prison break, and then Red says, "Should it be under educational?" <laughs> so good, wonderful what a moment. And then my third is just a line that makes me smile every time. It's narration from Red after Andy uh, is no longer in his cell mysteriously, and he says, "In 1966, Andy Dufresne escaped from Shawshank Prison." all it is right there like fuck yeah he did (laughs) oh man yeah god red red has so many bits of narration that are to die for and he he pinpoints where we're at throughout the film so well you know apparently uh this is this is kind of scary to me and, and and also just fascinating a fascinating way to make a movie they recorded Darabont and the crew recorded all of the narration before they filmed anything. And they played the narration on the set while making the film. So when they were in different scenes, they could hear Morgan Freeman's voice. Whoa. <laughs> That's creepy, but interesting. No wonder he was later cast as God. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that, 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 that monotone voice, um, it's, it's something else, you know, that just kind of kind of kind of just you know what a gliding through not not going up or low or it's just right in the middle just morgan freeman just uh, i would a lot of people are like oh i want him to narrate narrate my life i'm like i fucking don't that would freak me out <laughs> i'd be like i mean i'm not andy i am not andy dufresne <laughs> i am it's, not in shawshank there's something comforting about that monotone it's like a reassuring voice of like, yeah, this is a dark story, but everything's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But my Tarantino, this is, this has been, I've said this, there's probably been 10 occasions throughout our 84 episodes where I've been like, wait a minute, this is the hardest Tarantino I've ever had to choose. This is the hardest Tarantino. Uh, you know me, I like to choose just one and boy, oh boy, is it hard. I, I I have such a hard time because, again, Red has so many moments of, of, of just pure dominance when he's narrating. I also love one of my favorite lines in the movie, the line that I've said the most, that I still say, I said at work today, is when he says, same, same old shit, different day. <laughs> after, getting, after getting rejected again, you know, uh, I, I say that all the time. <laughs> But that, that 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 would be that would be too easy to, to do that as a as a Tarantino. Uh, the award that I, that I I would give out the, the quote that I think is the best is uh, when the uh, yeah, Andy Dufresne and the the fish they they come in they they're coming in coming into the prison coming into Shawshank and everyone's making bets and whatnot and you hear you hear Morgan Freeman's voice you hear Red narrating and he says I must admit I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. Looked like a stiff breeze would blow him over. This is my first impression of the man. Oh, I love that sentence. I love, I love the bit. Looked like a stiff breeze would blow him over. This is, this is, 
This is Andy Dufresne we're talking about. This is a guy who escaped Shawshank 20 years later. This is a guy who spent time in the hole over and over and didn't allow it to get to him. This is a guy who knew that the warden murdered the guy that was going to get him out of prison because of his testimony. And he still escaped and still had that little, you know, shining glimmer of hope. I love that that was read this, this, Good man, you know, this good, honest, honest man who, who, who will be straight with you as a friend, right? Red will be. He just thinks nothing of him and bets against him that he's going to crack first. And ultimately, it's these two that become best buds. It's these two who become this kind of fucking Kobe and Shaq duo where if you have, if you have them two in Shawshank, you're, you can't go wrong. One of them's like a borderline genius and is, you know, making his way around, around the system and has made up a, an alternate alter ego, a different identity. And the other guy, Red, is a guy who literally can get you anything. He can get you a poster of uh, fucking Rita Hayworth. He can get you a poster of Marilyn Monroe, uh, Raquel Welch. She, he can get you cigarettes, you know, whatever you want. He can get you a rock hammer. Like these two guys together is one of the most dominant movie duos I've ever seen. And I love them both so much. I want a, I've always wanted to blow up a poster of there's a shot of when Tommy is telling them what he witnessed and how Andy's, Andy's like, Holy shit, my life's about to change. There's a shot from behind Tommy Roger Deakins, God bless. And you see Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman standing next to each other. And it's like the twin towers, you know, it's like these two just brilliant, brilliant characters standing next to each other and i oh man i just i love them so much and i love what red's doing in this movie the narration you could really go with any of his stuff you know but that initial look that he has at andy and he thinks nothing of him i've always loved that line like a stiff breeze could blow him over <laughs> so good i've had that hap- i've had that in life i've there's um i won't name him just in case he does listen to this show but i have a friend who, when I first saw him, I thought, this is an obnoxious, like, weird guy. I don't care for him. I don't want to know this guy. A year later, I meet him under different circumstances. Now he's one of my closest friends. So it really does, you know, first impressions don't mean that much, I don't think. You got to get to know somebody. A hundred hundred percent. I've done that way too many times where I have my preconceived ideas about who a person is just by maybe the way they're wearing their fucking hat, you know, and you're like, Oh, this guy's a prick, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and then, and then you meet him and you talk to him and you're like, wow, this guy's got some depth, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Cause he's a person, you know? Yeah. Cause he's, a, cause he's a human being. Chances are he's been through some stuff. And I, I love that about this movie. It nails that stuff really nails that stuff home about, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to talk about those themes. I just, I adore what Shawshank is doing for, for friendship and for the, the circumstances in which you meet somebody and how they can kind of, kind of prove you wrong. I love that. Yeah, it's a great, there's a lot of great themes in this movie to unpack, you know, uh, friendship, uh, you know, brotherhood almost, uh, hope, mm. obviously, in, endurance salvation it's, it's all over the map here and it's 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 a great film to just kind of get lost in on the, all these 
different fronts. Um, like I envy people who haven't seen it because they they'll get to see it for the first time. And w- what a ride! What a ride that is to see to see shock first time. And you know, especially towards the end when it when it takes its takes its twist and turns, and you're like, oh wait a minute, get busy living or get busy dying? What? <laughs> hold on, man. I'm not ready for this. You know, it, it just, it, it, it's really a, a mind blowing movie that especially that first ride, I'll never forget it. Oh man. Yeah. Me too. Beautiful. Uh, all right. Morricone. And your Morricone best music moment. Here we go. Thomas Newman. This was the most difficult one for me to pin down. Uh, okay. This score is so beautiful. It belongs in a fucking museum. Um, I could have chosen our initial first look at Shawshank that, you know, kind of the main theme of the film, which is so beautiful and haunting, but also inspiring. But there's one moment in this film that is crucial. Like, like it needs that music to work. And it's the part where Andy escapes the tube. He crawls out of the tube of shit into water. He's cleansed by the outside world and it just, you know, ripping his uniform, his prison uniform off and just holding his hands up to the sky. The music that plays in that bit is the most triumphant shit I have ever heard in my life. It is so powerful. And you've been there the whole time with Andy. You understand the struggle. You've seen what he's been through. You feel that incredible moment and it's earned. It's so earned. Yeah. And yeah, every time I watch it, I get goosebumps. I get emotional. I get a little choked up. It's just so fucking amazing. <sighs> yeah. God damn. What a great pick, you know? And that's the, you know, I've, I've had the movie poster forever, right? Of him with his arms out, and, you know, the rain coming down. And, and you immediately, when you see that image or you see Shawshank Redemption, you think of that part of the score. God, it, it, it is... It is on par with everything, every, you know, uh, peak moment in any movie in, in cinematic history. This piece of score is right there with it. You know, it's that powerful. Oh, God. Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> uh, my, my pick comes a little bit after that. Uh, and it's the, it's the track. It's called uh, Zihuatanehu where uh, in Mexico, where, where, our boy Andy Dufresne always wanted to go, right? And my favorite thing is to to listen to that, and it's just so goddamn peaceful. Um, I, I like listening to that, and I like thinking about uh, Tim Robbins, Andy Dufresne talking about the Pacific and how it has no memory. And I just I get I get I get I get all teary eyed, you know. And but there are countless moments of this score. Uh, there's 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 one bit I really like uh, whenever um, it's called Brooks was here. It's a longer oh, piece of the score, and that yeah. is so moving, so stirring. It's so subtle. It's just like a few yeah. piano notes. That's all it is. And yeah, I I can't listen to that bit without tearing up. I I have it on my uh I still have an iPod because I'm trapped in 2005. Hell yeah, that's on my iPod. It's one of the it's one of my favorite bits of music. Yeah, yeah, that that one, and then there's a real creepy one. That's that's one of my favorites. is is uh, it's a shorter part of the score called Elmo Blatch, and that's when we that's when we see Tommy talking about him having uh, 
uh, a conversation with another prison inmate at a different prison. And it's the guy who admits that he, that he killed Andy's wife and her lover and his laugh that goes with it. The, <laughs> you know, he can't, he can't breathe. He's like some hot shot banker. <laughs> you know? and, and the music that's going with it is like, Oh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Cause you can tell. I remember the first time I saw this and I remember thinking it's, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. That warden is so fucking evil that like, it's not going to, and I think the score tells you that I think it's speaking. I think it's speaking to you saying, this is not hope. This is no hope. Tommy is hope, but this little testimony, what he's telling, what he's saying is not hope for Andy. And I love when I love when a movie uses, uh, when a score rather uses it as, as a language. And speaking to you in that way, where, where it kind of gives you those hints and gives you those those little signals of this ain't happening. You know, oh. this is you're hearing this, but this ain't happening. This ain't gonna go anywhere. And uh, fuck, God, I love that part of the movie. It's so crazy when the warden tells Andy, like, "What a fantastic story!" And I can't believe you've been taken in by it. Like trying to gaslight yeah. him, and Andy's like, "This is my life." I I love when he says, "Like, I won't mention anything about the money." And the warden's like, "How dare you bring up money to me?" Like. God, it's it's so sadistic, and then throws him in the hole for two months. Like Jesus Christ! You imagine two months, yeah. with zero human contact. No, no, I could not. Uh, yeah, no, no way. Especially in that manner where you're being fed just yeah. slop. You're I could go without. Yeah, I could. I could go without human contact if I had you know like my my DVD and Blu-ray collection, and maybe maybe some fucking canes every now and again, or Whataburger. But just nothing, you know, just nothing. Just there's like one little tiny light that you can barely see, uh, and that's all Andy has. And yeah, no thanks. He he's under the warden's thumb at that point, but then he fucking fucking fights back, and ah, oh, it's so glorious. <laughs> one of my favorite little warden moments is when um, he gives Andy the pie, and he's like, "You want the rest of this? Woman can't bake for shit." Like. Oh. Jeez. Even in his good gestures, he's this complete piece of shit scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Yeah. He is, he's a real, when he's like, when he's talking to Andy in the hole and he's like, I will cast you down with the sodomites. You're like, oh my God, fuck this guy. <laughs> You'll think you've been fucked by a train. Like, what yeah. The fuck, yeah. 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 <laughs> and that answers, that answers some of your questions you might have. You're like, wait a minute, this is a prison movie. And, the sisters are the only bad people. No, it's just that when you get in with red and you get in with that group, you have like a good stable little community and you have protection. Yeah. And then Hadley, Hadley, I mean, Boggs gets his ass fucking kicked like two years into Andy Dufresne's stent. Yeah. I mean, he gets, he gets his legs taken away from him. So after that, people are like, maybe I should stay away from this Andy Dufresne guy. You know, like it's that it's, it's like that. But then later, your questions are answered by the warden saying, no, there, there is evil here. You just don't fucking see it, you know? Yeah. Oh. Andy's too valuable to be taken advantage of. He's got, you know, he's doing the, all the guards' taxes. He's, got, he's running the warden's books. Like, he's untouchable until the warden says otherwise. Mm. It's, yeah, and I love that they don't let you forget that. They don't let you forget that he is fucking in prison. Like, this is hell. He's just protected for now. Yeah. Ah, yeah. God. What a movie. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs>
<laughs> fucking a um all right yeah the enyo you know it's a good movie when the enyo enyo uh award takes you to all these different places you know and you start talking about the movie at whole um the philip Seymour hoffman award who won the movie is it tim uh, robbins or is it morgan freeman it's tim robbins oh for me it's morgan freeman oh shit <laughs> <laughs> great okay let's hear it this all right so Andy has this infectious optimism about him throughout the entire movie. It's, you know, everyone kind of mentions it. Like they think, you know, he's got a silver spoon up his ass the whole time. And he's just, he doesn't let anything break him. And even when he, you think he's going to, that's his most hopeful point. Where you think like, if you haven't seen this before, you think Andy's going to kill himself. And if this movie had ended with that, holy fuck. But yeah, his escape and his, you know, his drive to never let this place break him. Even after getting, you know, gang raped by a bunch of psychos, he's still Andy. He never loses that. And I love that throughout the whole movie. He's your, he's the guy you can hold on to. He's the guy you can rely on that that he's not going to, he's not going to let this place change him. And he doesn't throughout the whole movie. Tim Robbins performance is very consistent. And I don't think anyone else could have really held on to that as well as he did. Yeah, I yeah, I I'm I'm I agree with all of that. And I think Tim Robbins is the only guy, the only guy who could play Eddie Dufresne the correct way. Uh, I also think Morgan Freeman is the only guy who could have done Red the right way. I think the narration, I think it's I I think it's usually a, a total cop out when movies do that. There's two cases where I think it's perfect: Shawshank and Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are the those are the two movies where it's like, okay, this makes sense. This makes complete sense i'm sure there's another one out there but those are the two big ones that stand out that are just classics that kind of need it and morgan freeman my god some of the stuff he said in this movie i love when uh they find out about brooks and he's like you know something about this place man you know first you're scared then you depend on it you know and he's like these 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 walls are funny you know they do something to him to a man you know and then he says, uh, when Haywood is like, oh, shit, I gave, I gave Andy some rope, you know, earlier. He came to the loading dock and uh, Red's like, I guess every man has their breaking point. You know, all, all those little like bits of like cynicism and just kind of calling it like it is. I love all of that stuff. And Morgan Freeman's delivery is incredible. And then his, him and, him and Tim Robbins together is just a dream. And his amazement with Andy Dufresne is some of my favorite stuff to watch. Like when, when Andy explains his alter ego and explains this guy that he's created, this figment of his imagination. I love how amazed Red is. He's like, who the fuck am I talking to right now? (laughs) And, you know, and then, and then of course, one of the best lines of the movie is, is when he's like, you know, uh, when I was out there, you know, I was, I was as straight as an arrow. And I had to come here to become a crook. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman just laughs. He just, <laughs> I love their, I love their chemistry. I love their camaraderie. I love these two characters to death. And you can't go wrong with either one. But I, I think the narration sets it sets them apart. Uh, the narration is so good, and he gets some screenplay bits that are just fucking awesome. Morgan Freeman, it's my fair, it's my favorite work he's ever done, and probably my favorite work that Tim Robbins has ever done. This and the player. Uh, two very different characters. <laughs> uh, they're, yeah, they're both just lights out kind of hall of fame type performances from both of them. So it's, but it's one of them too. You can't give this award to anybody else. No, I mean, you know, Clancy Brown is great. 
Bob Gunton is great. William Sadler's great. James Whitmore is great. But these guys make yeah. me. You know, you've got, yeah. you need this friendship for this film to work. It has to be believable. You have to believe these guys have known each other for 20 years. And, yeah. you know, Andy's a dreamer. He's, you know, he's hopeful. And Red is there to keep his feet on the ground. It's, it's essential. Yeah. Oh, so good. One day, man, we're going to go to that hotel that they have in Mexico, you know, one day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, let's finish this thing off with our Deacons Awards. Uh, what, what do you got? What's the best scene for you? I was watching a countdown on YouTube of the 10 most inspiring and en- en- uh, movie endings of all time. And the Shawshank Redemption was number one. And mm. th- this is why the escape is one of the greatest moments in film history. When the warden throws the rock through the poster, pulls the poster away, and you realize this was not a, you know, uh, on the whim escape. He has been escaping for 20 years since the first fucking week. He has been digging at this wall and he did it. It's, it's the, the, the realization of the time and the dedication and the, just perseverance of it all and how he he did it that whole bit from the warden like ripping the poster off the wall to the warden shooting himself in the head is (laughs) unrivaled in terms of like a film's ending it's so perfect yeah i can't can't argue with that and I, i you know i think deep down that stretch is is the best part of the movie and, and I'm with you. I think it, it it's up there with any stretch of any movie ever, ever made. I think it's a big reason why I think, I think the way it sticks the landing is the reason why it is what it is. It's, it's Shawshank redemption, you know, yeah. uh, God, when he throws the rock through the poster, you're just that first time I saw it, I was like, what <laughs> that bit of a uh, bouncy music that Thomas Newman has in there. I almost picked that for my Morricone. Cause it's just so like, that's oh, a good you get, bit. You get charged. You're like, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't explain. Yeah, how, how how much that just like rocked me the first time I saw it. Because I, I I for real thought the way Tim Robbins sells, uh, him grabbing the rope from under his pillow and puts it on his lap, and you're like, dude, this guy's gonna fucking hang himself, man. Like, yeah. the despair. You feel it, and you understand why. You're like, he's trapped by the warden. He's, he knows now he'll never get out of here. Like there's so many like reasons for him to do it that you don't even think like, no, he's just, he escaped. (laughs) It's it's great. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I really, yeah. Again, I I think deep down, this is what I should be, should be choosing for my deacons, but I'll I'll go with something else. Okay. It's, it's a scene that I think changes the film early on. It's a, it's a scene that, it goes from, okay, this is good to, okay, this is going to be great. And you can tell it's going to be great as you're watching it. Um, and it's the, the roof scene. Uh, yeah. God damn. Yeah. When they, when they, you know, uh, Red and Andy and the boys, they get to work on the roof and Hadley's up there. Clancy Brown is up there and he's talking to, talking to the other guards and he's like, yeah, fucking government's going to fuck me. You know? <laughs> and he's like, gonna take you know what do you think they're gonna do to me take a big white 
spite out of me. You know, he's just, <laughs> he gets so many good quotes. Clancy Brown is so good in this. And, uh, and Andy's just stops. They're, they're all pushing mops, you know, and they're, they're fucking, you know, just working with the sun on their backs. Right. And then, and then he, he just turns over and looks at Hadley and Red's like, you fucking crazy. Get your ass back on your mop. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, he's, he's listening to, to what's, to what's happening. And, and, and I, I love that because it, it shows his kind of uh, his inability to, to neglect what his expertise is. Yeah. And from, th- from then on his life changes at Shawshank and the movie changes. Um, he basically goes up to him and he's like, uh, do you trust your wife? You know? And he's like, what'd you just fucking say? And he's like, this motherfucker's about to have an accident right before he's about to throw him off the roof. You know, uh, Andy Dufresne's like, I, I, I promise you, I can show you a way where you can keep all of that money. He's like, the IRS allows one-time gift to your spouse. Da, da, da. It's genius. It's genius stuff. And it's, it's all true. It's all real stuff that, that can actually happen with, with your money, with, with uh, you know, taxes. And, and Andy Dufresne is, is showing that stuff off. And then he says, I'll show you all this stuff. All you have to do is, you know, give, give my, my co-work, my coworkers is what he says, which is great. Uh, three beers a piece. He's like, I think, you know, working, working as a man, it feels a lot better if they have some suds, you know, <laughs> it's just like, Oh my God, it's so cool. And then they get that, you know, and the sun is setting. And, well, actually the sun is rising. He says it's 10 AM. Uh, Red says in his narration, uh, Andy's over to the side in the shade and the other guys are all drinking their beer, just chilling. And, and I'll go ahead and read again. This is, this is one of my favorite bits of the movie could have been my, my Tarantino. Uh, Red says, and that's how it came to pass that on the second to last day of the job, the convict crew that tarred the plate factory roof in the spring of 49 wind up sitting in a row at 10 o'clock in the morning, drinking ice cold Bohemia style beer, courtesy of the hardest screw that ever walked, walked a turn at Shawshank state prison. The colossal prick <laughs> even managed to be magnanimous. <laughs> we sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. Hell, we could have been tarring on the roof of our own houses. We were the lords of all creation. As for Andy, he spent that break hunkered in the shade, a strange little smile on his face, watching us drink his beer. You could argue he'd done it to curry a favor with the guards or maybe a few friends among us cons. Me? I think he did it just to feel normal again, if only for a short while. And the movie goes to this other place where you're like, holy shit, I'm watching stuff that's incredible. It's out of this world. And from then on, it doesn't stop. It, it, I think the first 20 minutes, you're kind of like, okay, what's happening here? You know, like, what, what exactly is the deal? Is this just going to be another prison movie? It's like, no, it's not. It's going to be the greatest fucking prison movie you've ever seen in your goddamn life. And it is. It is the best prison movie. There's, there's not even really any competition. And from that moment on, on the roof, about 30, 40 minutes into the movie, it just steps on the gas and does not stop. And I, I love that about it. I love that it catapults it to a different place. That's a great pick. Yeah, that scene is so fantastic. It, I, I love how uh, Hadley's literally bitching about a surprise $35,000 he just got from his dead brother that he hated. Yeah. And all the like, all they were like, "Wow, poor guy." <laughs> all the convicts are like, "Wow, some some dudes have all the bad luck." <laughs> it is. It's a great scene. It really shows that you know Andy is here to like he's he's not he he's not giving up his old life. He's not 
He's going to do what he can to stay normal. And I love that he did. He doesn't even drink the beer. Like it's got, it wouldn't had nothing to do with him. He tells Hadley, yeah, like, or yeah. he tells, um, Haywood, Haywood, like I gave up drinking. <laughs> it's, ah, yeah, it's a great, that's a great scene. And yeah, I do agree that from then on the movie goes in a much different direction than you expected it to go. Yeah. Yeah. Once he shows off that like, I'm a fucking genius and I got all y'all's backs. Like you can, you can look to me. I'm the leader now. And it's just, it's just powerful. Just powerful stuff from Tim Robbins. Uh, really, again, really cool. narrative. Like that, that paragraph is crazy. It's crazy from red and uh, God, you know, great source material, great screenplay and great delivery. This, this movie just fucking kicks ass. Yeah, this is, I mean, it should be obvious by now, but this is a straight up 10 for me. I, I don't even know how to rate it. You know, um, a long time ago, you and I did an episode with your uncle Sean on Escape from New York. Yeah. And at the end, at the end uh, you and I gave our ratings and your, your uncle was like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just a perfect movie to me. I can't, I can't put a number on it because it's just not, it's this thing I can't, I can't ever grasp. It's, it's always, always impressing me. And I, f- I feel that way about Shawshank. Uh, with that being said, of course, it's a 10, it's an 11, it's a 12, you know, it just, I, I, I don't know. Uh, do I have my issues with it? Of course, you know, it, logically, the prison, the, the escape, there's a few bits that I'm confused by, uh, like the poster. How does he get the poster back up after going into the hole? I don't know. I'm not sure. Whatever. <laughs> and then, and then if it wasn't thundering and lightning that night, what was his backup plan? No, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure because he's smashing the thing with the lightning going. I, I, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't really care. You know, I, I can suspend my belief with horror movies. I can suspend it with a prison break movie. Um, it, it's 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 perfect. Its execution is perfect. It's the landing is perfect. That scene where Red is on the bus going to Fort Hancock and then we see him on the beach meeting Andy again is just a one. It's perfect. So I. I love it to death, man. It's we're, we're in a good place here on Oscar Sunday right now. We've been doing some really good movies and Shawshank is one of the best. Yeah. Not going to argue with any of that. Fantastic. I'm so glad we, uh, we got to do this movie. Uh, and next week is going to be fucking lights out. So what do we got Yeah, ne- next week? Yeah. Next week. And then I'll let you kind of uh, talk about um, sneak preview. And, and I, w- I want to hear a little bit more about beyond the bad and what you guys got planned. Uh, yeah. Next week is the 80th Academy Awards Best Picture Showdown. This is one of the best groups, in my opinion, of all time. You got the winner, No Country for Old Men. We have the other nominees, Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. Oh, boy. This is, this is a killer group. Uh, I, you know, I felt inspired to do No Country for Old Men because, uh, you know, uh, Macbeth is out, is, is going to be out uh, for everybody to see on streaming. And, it, and uh, I always wanted to do 2007. I think it's a kick-ass year. I think it's got a true race between two movies. And I can't wait to talk about that more next week. But uh, tomorrow, in sneak preview, what do we got? So tomorrow, I didn't want to announce anything until we were certain we were going to do this. And since we've put in a, quite a bit of work at this point, I think it's safe to say we're going to do this. So. Neither of us, meaning Caleb and I, we don't want to see the 355. It's been getting horrific reviews. We saw that exact movie six, seven times last year. We're done with it. 
And the tender bar also getting terrible reviews. We don't want to bother. So in honor of the release of the new Scream movie coming out next week, we are going to be covering the career of Wes Craven and doing a worst to best rankings of all of his films that he directed. It's going to Love be it. a fucking blast. Uh, and, you know, Wes Craven is a director that Caleb especially really respects and really admires. So I'm excited to hear him really get to dig into Craven's career. And I'm being introduced to a lot of uh, horror classics I've yet to watch, such as The Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. So it's going to be a tremendous episode. Hell yeah. That's fantastic. That's going to be really cool. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, with Scream, Wednesday's filmgasm will be Scream 3. Uh, we've covered yes. the first two films. And, you know, the week a Scream film comes out, we're not going to not do another Scream film. So, three. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like Scream 3. I think it's pretty fun. So, that'll be cool. Yeah, me too. A lot of people hate that one. I don't really get why. Um, and then, Beyond the Bad, uh, our new show is out. Uh, I hope you guys, if you checked it out, I hope you enjoyed uh, the format. Batman and Robin was a good place to start, I think. I, mm-hmm. I listened back on it when I was um, doing some editing, and I... Yeah, I know it's a little pompous, but yeah, I, I laughed a few times. I made myself laugh. <laughs> I was like, I remember that. That was funny. Um, <laughs> so continuing beyond the bad, um, this week's episode is the 2005 video game adaptation Doom starring Carl Urban and The Rock back when he was still The Rock. Uh, it's a ridiculous movie, super over the top, pretty much ignores the games, which a lot of people didn't like. And uh, we're going to dig into it. It's a movie we actually both kind of like. So that's going to be fun. Let's go. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good week. Good, good, fun week. Uh, yeah. Wes Craven got some scream action, got some video game adaptation. And, and uh, one of my most anticipated personally, uh, best picture showdowns uh, on this sh- on Oscar Sunday. So yeah, going to be a fun week. Uh, again, rest in peace to Sidney Poitier. Rest in peace to... Peter Bogdanovich, fucking let's throw Betty White in there too. Let's throw John Madden in there. We've been losing way too many legends lately. And uh, the best thing to do is back their work, watch it, you know, read it, whatever, whatever it is, you know, just eat it up and consume it. Remember their legacy. So hopefully you guys come back next week and enjoy what we got going on this week. Uh, but for now, we'll see you guys later. Hell yeah.